Hey, welcome back to that third movies podcast game. The real Jim and Chris here. Ultimate enthusiasm. <laughs> That's right, hey, people. <laughs> so we almost had a Doppler effect on that. I know. Uh, so Roth is not with us. She is over in the Emerald Isle this week. She's in sunny Ireland. That's right. Um, it's too bad she's not in Scotland. They're they're voting. She could be witnessing history. She's already witnessing history because she's. She's there witnessing uh, Vikings. a set visit. Yes, yes so. for Vikings. The so history. cry not for Roth Cornette for not being on this particular episode of Keeping It Real. Don't cry for me, Rothy Lena. I don't know. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. Sorry, guys. <laughs> so uh, let's see. This this past weekend, Guardians of the Galaxy finally dethroned as number one at the box office. Yep. And it was dethroned by No Good Deed. Which we predicted which would we happen, predi- and it made twenty four point three million, which is is about in the ballpark of what we had predicted. And of course, so I don't have those figures in front of me. <laughs> it's a little Damn. on the high side, actually. I think we were a little lower than that, but yeah, I think we were like twenty or something. I I, I do think um, you know it's it's one of those soft times of the year where a movie like No Good Deed can come out and actually perform really well, and uh, you know. Guardians had a good run. Is still having a good run. Oh I yeah, say. yeah. I don't think it's going to be out of theaters for a, l- a little while. Um, it, it's making more in its what seventh or eighth yeah. week than it was. It was its seventh week. It was. It was only bumped to number two once before that, just for one weekend when when Turtles debuted, and then it remained number one. I mean, its later weeks have had uh, better weeks than the Sin City two debut. So <laughs> that's right. Um, Guardians is in no. Uh, I, I don't. I don't see signs of it slowing down. What's interesting, though, about a really long run like this for something like Guardians is that you know the way that Blu-ray has been lately, mm-hmm. the window is shrinking and shrinking. Usually, you're starting. Or well, not usually, but you are now now starting to see Blu-rays released within three or four months of a movie being in the theater. So I mean, Transformers Four is already out. Cap Two is out. You know. Yeah, you got to think like in Transformers Four. It's not like that was like. It was only a couple of months ago. Yeah, it was a couple of months ago. Yeah, Paramount is one of the more aggressive studios, I'll have to say, about getting things to home video. Um, and it, and you know, a movie like a movie like Transformers, you want to get out as quickly as you possibly can because piracy is so rampant. Right, right. Um, yeah. but uh, but yeah, it's it's interesting. We could be looking at a thing where Guardians is like out of theaters, and then a couple of months later, you're watching it at home. Well, which I mean, I love. it's uh, it, it's it's amazing though because theater owners, um, you know, this is. L- long-term kind of battle they've had with the studios about what they call like the 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 shortening of the exhibition window yeah because their whole thing is they want to keep things in theaters and keep butts in seats and they're losing that war though and they will lose that war because they don't control the product you know they control the means to get the product to the people but ultimately uh, I think the studio has way more of a say in that and you know certain things I don't think are really going well. I think 3D is here to stay in in some sense. You know, now that everybody's outfitted, I think the studio is still going to do 3D. Uh, you'll every once in a while get one of those event 3D movies like Gravity or Avatar. What do you think, though, about, uh, and this kind of ties in with a, um, a news report, uh, about high frame rate. I mean, it seemed like it was a big conversation. And then Hobbit happened. And even though... Um, the high frame rate, meaning like 48 frames per second on that, got better uh, over time. 
it's still like it's the it's the one they're not talking about, but it's still there are still theaters equipped with that. Um, do you think that has any longevity? And you think this report about the Avatar sequels aiming to to possibly do 120 frames per second, almost uh, what is that like two and a half times? It's just weird the frame rate of Hobbit. Like the I mean, human eye can't comprehend that kind of frame rate. So I yeah. don't know. I mean, maybe maybe some. Maybe it can in some way that I don't know about, but like yeah. you're going so fast that it's our equipment, human equipment isn't yeah. isn't capable of dealing with it. So, but I think th I think people have largely rejected high frame. Rate. I mean, think about that plus 3D. Won't you have a migraine within 10 minutes? Because <laughs> the the ocular muscles that you'll be working. I think it's the responsibility of filmmakers to think about the experience for their audience always, and the physical experience is a really big thing. I think I've told he the story. He wants you to be in Pandora. <laughs> it's true. But I think I think you know I've told the story once or twice before on this podcast where you know the first thing I learned when I took a film class in college, the first movie we ever watched in college was Speed. And I thought that was a very weird choice, right? I was sitting down, I was looking at my syllabus, and I was like, we're watching Speed in class. And uh, the whole point of it was we watched the movie. It was like a three-hour class, so we watched the movie, and then we had a lecture right afterwards. And the lecture started off by, you know, asking how everybody sort of felt and, like, what sort of physical things you felt during the watching of Speed. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, my heart started going faster or sweating a little bit. And so, like, that really made me think of, like, movies are this experience that is for your whole body. But if it's a negative effect on your body... yeah. There, there was a report recently, I want to say it was at Wired or somebody had, um, they actually did uh, brain studies. Like I think they essentially, it was <laughs> one step closer to just hooking you up to an MRI and making you watch a movie. <laughs> but seeing the different regions of the brain, how it led up to different stimuli on screen. Yeah. And and I think it was Darren Aronofsky was uh, speaking speaking about this at some sort of um, technology event, and he seemed kind of stoked on it. But there was also that kind of caveat of, can you imagine, in the probably not too distant future, test screenings where they essentially hook you up <laughs> like a lab rat and alter your movie just based on how can we provoke your brain and then we can also find out who the sociopaths in the audience are that's right <laughs> they're just calmly yeah. watching murder and rape <laughs> yeah you know mm. it's basically clockwork orange now <laughs> exactly uh let's dive into the week that was dive in diving in there uh let's see let's start with um oh oh the choices i have let's talk about um uh, born, Jason Bourne. Oh my. Okay, so, uh, you know, there had been rumors before about Matt Damon coming back, but now uh, this week, um, the producer essentially confirmed that there, it's not a done deal, I guess, but they basically, they want Damon, Damon and Greengrass, Paul Greengrass, the director, and Damon has said that he'll only do another one if Paul Greengrass wants to do it, are going to do another Bourne movie. But, and here's the kicker, the producer Frank Marshall says that it's being developed uh, kind of simultaneously on, quote, parallel tracks with the Jeremy Renner sequel to Bourne Legacy. Mm -hmm. So basically they're trying to have... There, there's this kind of mumbo-jumbo about doing perhaps a shared universe. I think they're just developing both of them, see which one closes first, 
and then the other one will either fall apart or I don't know. But and what do you think the about the other one? You mean the Jeremy Renner one? Yeah. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I do you think this means that this movie series is born again? Oh. <laughs> no, there I'm we sorry. go. I'm the sorry. bell. You got a bell for that one. But I, I you know, it was weird. As Wouldn't I, it really be reborn? When ooh, when uh, when they said that, you know, when when Damon was like, "Yeah, I'm not playing Born anymore." I just felt like that was gonna only yeah. be like one off and then come back because yeah. it's a it's a money maker for him. It's a money maker for the studio. Elysium makes, wasn't a money maker for him. So, yeah. yeah, it makes every sort of yeah. I mean, it, you know, cynically, it makes good money sense. But mm-hmm. um, I think it's not like those movies suffered in quality as they went on. The third one was just as good as the first, yeah. if not better. But the fourth one, the one without him. It's definitely like a yeah, that was a, that was a step down. So yeah. like, I think him coming back with green grass could be very interesting. Um, as long as we get more cool action sequences like that, the book fight sequence. Oh yeah, that whole sequence in I can't remember what the location was, but was it uh, Morocco or it was like Morocco or Istanbul or something like that? Like yeah, whatever yeah. that sequence was, so so good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm I'm willing to get on board for that. So. But I think this does put Jim Renner's series in jeopardy. I, I, I don't actually buy what the studio is saying, like, oh, we're just developing them on separate tracks. Well, it's just, it's kind of like, who really wants to see a continuation of the Aaron Cross character? Although, here here's the thing. They may Did he do... just get Tokyo Drifted, Chris? Is he the Lucas Black of the Bourne franchise? <laughs> they may do what um, Call of Duty, you know, has done on the games uh, industry and do, like... Call of Duty one year and then Modern Warfare the next year and then Call of Duty one year and then, you know, like just annualize it yeah. and make Born like a thing that you're always going to see every year until it runs out of steam. They could do something like that or every two years. Um, but I, I really do think that there's more of a, you know, judging by comments and how I feel and how everybody I've talked to feels about this, there's way more of an appetite to see Matt Damon as that character. Yeah, I mean, it's, it it's, uh, he's the uh, titular character, Ooh. the eponymous I, you know, I'm just bummed out we didn't get to see more of Richard Chamberlain. <laughs> you know, that thing has been in my queue, and I still haven't watched it. Oh, you've never seen the original? Yeah, the one with uh, Jacqueline Smith, right, too? Yeah, I mean, not too shabby. It was actually not bad for its time. I I, I feel like w- going back and watching it would not be very good, but... I am curious to revisit it. I mean, he, he uh, <laughs> Richard Chamberlain, I watched the two Alan Quartermains uh, recently, mm. And boy, they're so bad. Like, they're really like, if you thought the, uh, because a lot of 80s movies have some pretty casual racism in them. <laughs> yeah, this one has aggressive. Oh my God. It's oh it's boy. really, it makes like Jewel of the Nile seem positively <laughs> progressive. Well, Jewel <laughs> of the Nile at least had a sweet music video that went along with it. So. Going gets tough. <laughs> Little Billy Ocean. Oh, you still love that. All song. up in your grill. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Who doesn't love Billy Ocean? Uh, probably his ex-wife. Oh, snap. Oh, you had to take it one. to that other I, level. I went to a personal place. Um, skull. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going <laughs> to. Oh. I could go so many places. With that. <laughs> uh, speaking of um, franchises and in new faces and stuff like that, Underworld 5. Now, we, we talked to you about it a little bit previously, but um, it's it's going forward, and they they are going to uh it's not going to be um a female face for the franchise anymore um uh, i'm not hearing anything about kate beckinsale uh reportedly 
Theo James, who played this character, I think David in Underworld Awakening, is going to be the new lead of the franchise with two supporting female characters yet to be cast. Theatrical, or are they going to bring this to Theatrical, you? yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's got uh, Divergent going on now, so... Underworld is one of these one of these uh, uh, properties just similar to Resident Evil and that, like, it's got its core audience who mm-hmm. will always go to it, and they're not going to make it above that budget. They're always going to... It's like a complete... And they've is, made money. It's a complete... Um, like equation what those movies are going to do. Oh, yeah. And so you plug the pieces in. And the, the whole reason that Beckinsale came back in, in the in the final installment is um, over... Money! Um, yeah, it was all money. <laughs> it's basically like, oh, we know that if we bring Celine back... Kate needed a houseboat. Okay, yeah. Chris? That's what happens. There are real-world things. It's funny. There are, you know... Stars are just like us, Jim. There are real world <laughs> things where people they run out of money. They bag their own groceries and they people. Yeah, people run out of money, or they are not. You know, they're 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 they started a lifestyle that they can't sustain by right. You know, by by making other movies. They're like, oh, I'm gonna do indie well, movies. Well, you know, it was uh, I was having a conversation with a, a writer friend of mine this week, and um, he's explaining some of the ins and outs of uh, the Writers Guild. And how you really get screwed financially if you have a writing partner because it's not like it's a different deal if there's two of you. So let's say you get paid 400000 right? You're It's split 50-50 between the two of you. Now you each essentially lose, uh, what is it, about 30% for agents and managers and lawyers plus wow. another 40 to 50% of that in taxes. So, yeah. by the end of the day, you might as well have just worked at, you know, been a manager at the Gap for the last year. Because well, yeah. you're really not walking away with much. Well, so, if you go out and you buy a big car or get a big expensive mortgage, get, guess what? You know, you might not be able to, to pay for that. And if you're a writer on TV, you know, and let's say it just, you could have a, a clause where um, you're on hold until the show comes back or whatever. So you've only really worked for 12 weeks, and now you can't work on any other TV shows for the rest of the year. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, it's. A, I mean, people think that entertainment jobs are super cushy and stuff like that. The other thing about being a writer is that, let's say you sell a script, there's no guarantee that you're going to sell another script. Mm-hmm. You know, you might sell a script for $200,000. been in that boat. You, you, you sell a script, yeah, let's say you get $200,000, which is not bad, right? But, like, yeah. when when you cut all that money out of it, you're you're looking at like a hundred thousand dollars. That's like a, that's that's not like living the, in California. That that's that not does like not, the largest salary. No, in LA. I mean that's basically. Um, <laughs> you're not buying a house on that. You're essentially n- you can't, and you better you better invest wisely and save because, yep. um, honestly, a lot of writer friends of mine, the ones that are lucky enough to still get script doctor gigs here and there, here and there being the you know, emphasizing that, um, you know, I, a lot of them just have to go and get some other job. I mean, that to me, that's kind of, I don't know, is that more heartbreaking than never having <laughs> made it? Or like, I don't know, like, do, don't like know. I did it and yet I still have to go to my schlep job and put up <laughs> with all that crap on top of it. Well, it's tough. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's just a tough economy. And beyond that, like there are so few writers that make it at a level yeah. that they're making a ton of money. And the same goes for actors. I mean, for every, even mid-level actor that there is, there is hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people who didn't make it, who tried and came and yeah. left. You know, I mean, you yeah. see a lot of people like 
come to LA for like two, three, four years and they are like done after like a bunch of, you know, sort of demoralizing auditions or, or scripts, you know, you almost get your thing made and then it doesn't get made. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a, it's, it's hardcore. it is, um, it's a, it can be a heartbreaking town. I think the, the only kind of bit of advice I'd give people from my meager experiences is you do have to have that you do have to have a job that literally sustains you yeah financially um there's no there's no nobility in being the starving artist i did it in my 20s <laughs> and it sucks and it demoralizes you yeah terrible like going for your taxes and <laughs> I, I remember i was like 27 and the accountant says to me she goes uh, you are too poor. You need to make more money. <laughs> you don't really exist. <laughs> I'm like, wow. I'm like, oh sweet Jesus! Wow, that's like yeah. A, like, but she was nice trying. She was say. taking. Well, she was taking this almost like maternal or, or grandmotherly approach with me, trying to like, you know. And I think that's when I really sort of I doubled down uh, on work less than my writing. Yeah. And I probably, you know, the older I get, I might regret that a little bit. But I got to tell you, it. Um, uh, it's really tough to try to explain to people as you're borrowing money off them that borrowing really mean taking because <laughs> you're not going to really be able to pay it back yeah. for that. Well, I'm following that my bliss. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, it's it's it to those of you who are hanging in there. Um, I salute you and I wish you the very best. Actually, it. thankfully, I think this this period of time that we're in has afforded a lot of people to make money for themselves, mm -hmm. you know, creating things you can, if, if you're really good and you know, social media and all that oh, stuff, the internet you, is a lot, a lot of careers. Yeah. You, you can actually, you can actually make money on your own by making stuff that people like on YouTube and places like that. You want to hear about some crazy money that people are making? Uh, these vine celebrities, they get like 12,000 to $22,000 uh, for a sponsored six-second Vine. I know some people who make... And they're like celebrities from that for six seconds of bullshit? If you can get your stuff up to a certain level, like if you can get up into the millions in any social, you know, network category, um, or even hundreds of thousands, you can charge like thousands of dollars for one post. It's crazy to me. Oh, my it's God. Crazy. And, I mean, it, it's called, you know, they're influencers I'm or whatever. I'm 10 years too old, dude. <laughs> I, if I had just been born a decade later, I'd probably be a lot more savvy on how to make money. But but I think, you know, what, there is a lot of sort of um, do-it-yourself stuff out there. And the interesting thing is that studios are going to, at some point, have to deal with it because... By and large, these people are making stuff for not a lot of money. I mean, YouTube's a great example. You look at like the top earners on YouTube, and it's th it's people like PewDiePie who makes game videos, and some of these kids making Minecraft videos are actually like sustaining their living on just Amazing. making Minecraft videos because there are millions and millions of kids out there who just want to watch people play Minecraft all day. And you know, if you are in that niche and you you've established yourself, you're you know you're you essentially being a the business. parent of one of those kids. You're like, stop doing that, and then he shows you. And you're like, keep doing 
doing that, you know? And help us pay for our Mom house. and dad are totally going to friggin' retire. Our, <laughs> our boss, Pear, who is one of the co-founders of IGN, um, he, I was staying at his house one time when I was up visiting San Francisco and uh, went down to breakfast the next morning, and his son was in trouble. And his son was in trouble because he was up all night watching Minecraft videos. And, and Pear said when he went into his room to sort of confiscate his... Um, his I, I don't know if it was an iPhone. I think it was actually an iPod, and he was just watching videos on it. He said the phone was so hot, <laughs> you couldn't even touch it because he was like <laughs> sitting there for like four hours straight just watching videos on it. But that's the climate, and I think that's something that studios are going to have to like recognize and yeah. deal with. And they already are actually having to do that, but yeah. trying to sort well, of harness it. Well, there's an it. interesting lawsuit going on right now about uh, against Kickstarter. Oh, yeah. Uh, because it's basically this, this one company... Uh, who I honestly had never heard of it's before. It's called this Artist, Artist Share or something Artist like Share or something. Like. Yeah. But it predates Kickstarter, and they they got a patent for what they do, but they're not the first crowdsourcing site. No. And and I just, but it, it, what do you think? Do you think, um, think about, you know, I, I, I guess once you, you donate to any of these things, you're kind of ceding creative control, but yeah. it is kind of an interesting debate of like, can you really own uh, a process like a Kickstarter in terms of? I don't think so. It's like owning the concept of money. You know, yeah. like, oh hey, this is a f this is a trade economy. This is how we do this. You can't like go back to the people who are trading shells for you know HJs or whatever and be like, <laughs> that's what they used to do on the beach, by the way. Um, but you can't <laughs> go back to that time and be like, oh, you know. This is irrelevant. You didn't invent this. We invented money. You know, like it's, yeah. it's like an idea that anybody could use, I think. And so I think what you could do is you could say the infrastructure was proprietary or you're using, you know, sort of technology that we developed, but there's really not that much technology to Kickstarter. So, like, yeah. I, I think they're going to have a hard time getting that through. Um, let's move on to some of the, the, the news in the week that was uh, Skull Island. Now, oh, this boy. is uh, a legendary pitcher's. Uh, universal project that we saw a little teaser for at at Comic Con, and it's really beginning to ramp up. and And Jordan Vote Roberts, I think, is how I mm. say he's the director of Kings this summer, is going to direct it. But get this, Tom Hiddleston is going to star in it. No, not as King Kong, but um, but who knows? It is an origin story of King Kong. Uh, so uh, I'm really kind of stoked for this and. Um, you know, Tom Hiddleston was supposed to do it's the Ben Hur movie, but now Jack Houston uh, Harrow from Boardwalk Empire is going to uh, star in that instead. It's a weird idea that there's a King Kong, you know, Kong begins. origin story because I always thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, and maybe you thought or didn't think this, but like I always thought this place, Skull Island, probably had at one time, a bunch of these giant apes on it, right? Like, that's what I always thought. It has to be. Because otherwise, like what? He's genetically he's... altered or he eats a lot of, you know, <laughs> ginkgo biloba or something <laughs> that's really huge. Look, the bananas in that <laughs> island had a shitload of potassium. <laughs> I'm just saying. They were magic bananas. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, Doctor Strange. So, uh, rumor, ha well... Screen Screen Daily, I believe it was, reports that the Marvel is going to shoot the movie in um, the UK at Pinewood Shepparton, uh, which is where they're filming, where they filmed Avengers 2, uh, and then they're filming Star Wars there, and Bond 24 is going to film there, um, and uh, that 
it is the July 2016 uh, release that uh, Marvel has already announced a release date for that, but they have not actually officially um, said what movie is opening up there. But it's it's almost certainly yeah, right. Doctor Strange yes. because Captain America 3 is the, the they've already announced that, that that's officially coming out on May 6, 2016. So yeah, July 8th, 2016 is almost certainly Doctor Strange's release date. Still no Joaquin Phoenix sign, though. Yeah. Um, we're going to call it? this movie Doctor Strange or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Magic. That's right. That's right. For those of you who don't get that reference, <laughs> there was a lovely old movie called Doctor Strange. Now, uh, this past week saw the release of a new trailer for The Hunger Games, Walking Jay Part 1. Uh, did you see the trailer, Chris? Yes. Um, love it. It is much more uh, action-packed and emphasis on war. It's also one. more action-packed, actually, than, well, I mean, obviously <laughs> the we didn't movies see the themselves. Movie, but the book itself, is, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of ramp-up in the book, you know, not to spoil anything, I won't spoil anything, but there's a lot of ramp-up until we get to some of the, the, the action sequences that we see in that trailer, but that trailer may be, like, um, I, I like Hunger Games. I like the books, and I, I like the first two movies. That trailer gave me some uh, some goosebumps at one point. Or as you might call it, a murder boner. <laughs> I would maybe call it that. <laughs> um, speaking of murder boners, Avengers Age of Ultron. Wow, that's a good transition. There we go. I gave <laughs> oh, myself a bell for that. The lightest bell. The lightest bell. That's, that's my indie film. I'm going to have Billy August direct it. <laughs> the lightest bell. <laughs> uh, here's the official. I'm going to read it off. The official plot synopsis for Marvel's The Avengers Age of Ultron. When this life gives you coleslaw. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what um, that means. Marvel Studios pre presents Avengers Age of Ultron, yada, yada, yada. Okay, so when, to when Tony Stark tries to jumpstart a dormant peacekeeping program, things go awry, and Earth's mightiest heroes, including Iron Man, Captain America, Thor, the Incredible Hulk, Black Widow, and Hawkeye, sold separately, <laughs> <laughs> are put to the ultimate test. Kenner. As the fate of the planet hangs in the balance, as the villainous Ultron emerges, it is up to the Avengers to stop him from his from enacting his terrible plans. And soon, uneasy alliances and an unexpected action pave the way for an epic and unique global adventure. Um, and then unique, huh? there's another. Uh, then there's a variation of that, uh, with the additional support of Samuel Jackson as. Nick Fury, Kobe Smulders as Agent Maria Hill. Um, along the way, they confront two mysterious and powerful newcomers, Wanda Maximoff, played by Elizabeth Olten, uh, Olsen, and Pietro Maximoff, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson, and meet an old friend in a new form when Paul Bettany becomes Vision. Yes. So what I think is interesting is old that... Old friend in a new form. They, I mean, they've, they've said that. It's Jarvis, they've yeah. It's Jarvis. Um, so what I think is kind of interesting is, first of all, that they're calling them uh, Pietro and Wanda Maximoff. They are using the official names of the characters. They don't say Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, but the official artwork that has been released by Disney labels them as such. But, you know, the fact that they can share these characters with um, Fox, you know, makes any little any little hint of, like, what they're using kind of something to talk about. In X-Men Days of Future Past, isn't he just Peter Maximoff? He's not called uh, 
uh, Pietro, right? I think so, but I don't know if that's like uh, I don't know if that was like a creative choice because that name isn't so yeah. used here, you know, or or whether that was I don't think that has anything to do with the rights actually, but the rights do clearly state from what I know of them that they can both use both names and they can use likenesses and stuff like that. So yeah. they're truly shared, but you know, obviously it's amazing universe that shared. it still just blows my mind that um, we're going to have two competing Quicksilvers on screen because they're going to bring of all characters. I know they're going to bring <laughs> Evan Peters back for um, X-Men apocalypse, uh, which James McAvoy says he believes he will be bald as professor X nice. finally in that movie. But you know, also, the fact that it'll be 10 years later, you know, he had, what, a six-year-old or seven-year-old little sister, and maybe even younger, in the in Days of Future Past. So now you jump ahead, so now you could have Teenage Scarlet Witch yeah. in that movie. And will likely have, I think. I would imagine. Like, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you tease that and then not pay it off by having that character actually Here's show Here's a question I have. Are we done? We are done seeing the other cast now, right? Like, we're not going to see them anymore? I don't know, man. I mean, I have a feeling that, um, you know, uh, Jackman and possibly, if they could swing it, maybe Halle Berry. Mm. Um, I think, you know, Patrick Stewart and McKellen would probably love to do it. I just don't know how you're going to keep justifying bringing in the future versions of those characters. Yeah. Um, however, you could definitely do Jackman. You could probably recast uh, Young Storm. Yeah. Um, although, you know, Halle Berry looks great for her age, so I think she could probably pull it off still. But yeah. you probably want to get some cheaper kind of up-and-comer. Um, What's interesting is I think they could have actually used um, – uh, Zoe Kravitz for a young Halle Berry if they hadn't already used her for something else, you know? Yeah. Um, there had been some uh, fan chatter about wanting uh, Lupita Nyong'o to play. There's going to be fan chatter about her for, for everything. everything. Now. Especially now with uh, Star Wars yeah. and everything. Um, let's see here. So speaking of Star Wars, actually, Anthony Daniels was doing some, some interviews, and he said that... Uh, C-3PO will be practical. He's got a new suit. It's not going to be CG. That uh, was the first thing that J.J. Uh, asked him was, do you want to just do the voice? He's like, no, I have to I have to act it out. It's going to be practical, and J.J. liked that. And then uh, today we got our first video look at the Millennium Falcon in the movie. And yeah. as part of this kind of fun, ongoing kind of uh, Twitter <laughs> war, if you will, a mashup war between Zack Snyder, director of Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice, and J.J. Abrams' uh, Star Wars Episode Seven, um, you know, like whether it's Superman holding a lightsaber, or then last weekend it was the Gotham police arresting a stormtrooper. Today, Abrams put out this video of uh, of the Millennium Falcon, and then it goes from the John Williams music into the Hans Zimmer Dark Knight music, <laughs> and reveals underneath the Millennium Falcon one of the the pieces looks like uh, the tumbler looks like the batmobile what's funny about all this is like there's actual work going into these things somebody right had to like do a prop somebody's that. paying for this <laughs> somebody had to do that score you know had to change that score going from one to the other it's not a big thing but it's a thing yeah and so like you're talking about these movies actually kind of talking to each other which is really interesting because they're the two biggest movies in production right now rival I mean, studios because avengers 2 is you know, wrapped and they're yeah. just doing post now. But like these, these are both shooting, 
And they're both, um, I mean, I, you saw the Batmobile footage that was yeah. leaked the other day. That looks badass. Yeah, yeah. Um, Sounds great, too. I love the engine kind of roar. So wh- it's 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 kind of unprecedented what's going on here. And it's really cool, I think, of those guys to play ball. And I think they're yeah. fans of each other's stuff. Well, I bet you, I bet you, uh, and, and there have been rumors about them uh, maybe doing a, a Star Wars spinoff before. But I, I have a feeling Zack Snyder really wants in on Star Wars, you know, now that there are going to be all these spinoffs and they've lined up like pretty much every other hot young director of that generation so why not him i'd love to see jj after he's done with star wars do something in the the comics realm in that universe he wouldn't he have made a great fantastic four yeah i mean he i I think he could make any great i mean i think you could choose a character for me i wonder if they would get him for a legion of superheroes if they did that cosmic thing i just think he probably wants to get out of space (laughs) i think yeah i I don't want to like talk you know, crap about legions. I think that project's below him a little bit. Yeah, I think he'd probably get a an up and come. Oh, he, he should go back. Uh, he had been attached to this before, and I think it fell through. But Micronauts. Oh man, I freaking would love that. I had I had like this really awesome Micronaut thing that looked kind of like the Millennium Falcon, but it had like a huge tower on it. In addition, <laughs> like it was this weird like with like re- weird insect arms. I don't know. You can't picture that, but Micronauts were like. <laughs> They were a big deal they, back in the day. They were my jam when I was a wee bairn. Um, let's see. Um, uh, Ghostbusters, Dan Aykroyd, surprise, talking it up again. Oh, um, God. He is, he's going to be locked away in a loony bin someday just talking about uh. Ghostbusters 3. But he was basically talking about the his future, his vision for the future of that franchise. And he kind of invoked uh, Marvel Studios and Star Wars having this kind of broader multimedia kind of presence and the larger universe and i don't know do you think ghostbusters could support that yeah i mean i I think it's it's ripe territory for something like that but here's my question is is he an actual producer on this project is he the producer of this project or is he like that's a good question i feel like he might he must must be involved somehow but probably just like exec producer because Sony owns it. He talks know? about it and talks about it and talks about it like you know, like it's a thing that he you know. Yeah, that, yeah. That, that the, the that's a good question. Sort of I, influence, I have but. to look into that. Um, oh, uh, uh, Paranormal Activity Five. Uh, it has a new title. It's Paranormal Activity colon the Ghost Dimension. I love that. By the way, it's a great title. The Ghost Dimension sounds like a. Uh, Kind of like an 80s band. It, it, <laughs> it probably is a band already. There probably is a band called the Ghost Dimension. I, I wonder if you, I you need that. to invoke uh, or you need to actually use the Ghost Protocol to get into the Ghost Dimension. That's why I'm kind of oh, hoping. It's a Paramount snap. thing. They both were. But here's, here's the thing. Uh, besides just the new title for that, this is going to be uh, Paranormal Activity 5 is not going to be opening up at Halloween. They're basically giving up that Halloween spot. And it's not going to open up March 23rd, 2015. They probably realize that, you know, now with the Insidious movies and and um, uh, if they're ever able to make another Conjuring, yeah. there's a big lawsuit tying that up, um, that uh, maybe they're like, just see kind of the writing on the wall and the diminishing returns, you know? Yeah, I mean, 
it's it, it, it's interesting. I, I I don't think it's gonna hurt them very much to go to March. I don't think necessarily that paranormal needs that. Like, no, not everybody needs to be in the Halloween spirit or whatever. These like found footage movies, especially one with a name as strong as that, can kind of exist wherever. You know, like yeah. I think March is a fine time for this movie. Um, I really I. <laughs> I don't know why I really like that title. I saw that yesterday. I was like, ooh. The ghost Dimension. Um, and it's, Insidious 3 came out with a weird poster today, too, that was just basically like... It's all verse. All words, you know? Yeah, but um, it was creepy. It was something about, like, the man in the vents. Yeah, the man like, without... Ooh. It was like the man in the vents. The I hear the man in the vents here at the L.A. office when everyone goes home, <laughs> and I'm still here late. I'm like, there's definitely something creepy in this office. <laughs> I'm just saying, people. Uh, it's, um, it's just me. I put a, me. I, I put a walkie-talkie in the vents. <laughs> Like, <laughs> it's me on my drive home. <laughs> <laughs> Chris likes to F with my mind. That's what I'm saying, people. I do indeed. Um, let's see. Oh, um, Robert Downey Jr., there's a report saying that he might play Leonardo da Vinci in the Assassin's Creed movie. Uh, what do you, what do you, what do you think? And I'm sorry, I, I don't have the story up in front of me, so I'm, I forget who actually reported that. But uh, what do you, what do you think? Sure. Yeah, I just big don't, shrug. I don't, I don't care. Like, it, as long as he doesn't like take over the movie, I think I'm fine. I, w- I want that movie to be. Um, yeah, I don't know if it needs to be funny or anything. You know, I think it can be like just an adventure movie, like a straight up. Like, do you think though? Is he? You know, with with uh, Michael Fassbender in there, not exactly known for you know his his uh, his wit. You know, he's a serious actor. I mean, he's charming and all that, but it's like you don't go to his movies waiting for him to, like, you know, knee slapping. Well, knees. He's got a different kind of knee slapping fun. <laughs> but, oh, um, my. oh, it's been an inappropriate joke. Oh, my God. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't know. I just, I, I'd be afraid of, of Downey sort of hijacking the picture. You know? That's, I'd be worried about that, too. But, like, I don't, well, maybe, maybe Da Vinci is like, a big part of this movie. I don't really know. Um, so it'll be like uh, Mr. Peabody and Sherman time traveling, Leonardo <laughs> da Vinci. It'd be great. It's like Bill and Ted, but not. <laughs> I, I just watched that again last weekend, and it was like I forgot about the days of our lives um, when he says, you know, uh, like sand through the hourglass, so go the days of our lives, Socrates, you know. <laughs> um, they're uh, rebooting I Know What You Did Last Summer. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, look, I, we did recently talk about how we're kind of moving on from 80s things now into 90s things getting remade. But, you know, I, I guess I see from a um, kind of a, if you did it, a cheapo budget point of view, it's a brand name that people know now. and, and But yeah. it's been like, what, 17 years since the last one? Well, Almost. I mean, they did a direct-to-video one. I but think that, was, uh, that was 98. And they did. I know what you did last summer. I still know what you did last summer. And holy dear know. Lord Jesus, <laughs> I know what you did last summer. That's I know what you rebooted last summer. Yeah, I don't uh, care about that. Like, yeah, I I would watch it, I guess, because I watch pretty much any horrible horror movie that there <laughs> is, plus some. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't think we need it necessarily, but it's fine. Whatever. Well, what about Zoolander two? Chris Carl, Will Ferrell says that Mugatu. Hmm. Uh, is going to be part of it and that they're expecting to do a script read-through soon. Well, here's the thing. I, I think Could this I th- be the Tron legacy of <laughs> comedy sequels? I think I, ca- I think I came out on the last podcast and I was like, we can't have this much time between sequels, talking about Sin City 2. 
Um, but then I thought of, I was thinking about it later in the week, and I was like, you know, Dumb and Dumber. I'm actually really stoked on that sequel. I really, really want to see that badly. And I just don't know about that one. It looks like it could. It could it, be bad. Yeah. You know? I th- I thought the trailer was pretty funny though. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I like the footage I've seen from it, but I guess I'm just trying to get my my hopes in check a little bit. Zoolander though is a weird one because you know I think they're going to approach it from the angle of. Derek Zoolander, you know, sort of washed up model or like aging model or something like that. Wasn't he an assassin too at one point, or did I? He he got brainwashed, right, oh, by right, right, Mugatu right. or, or right. somebody got brainwashed in that movie. Um, I, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't hate that. I think that could be cool. Um, but I, I, I just don't know. I just don't know. I, I don't know. He doesn't know people. I just don't know. I want to write him and let him know if he should know. You, you <laughs> tell him. Uh, vacation. Um. A sequel slash reboot in that uh, Clark and Ellen Griswold, played by Chevy Chase and Beverly D'Angelo, respectively, will return. But it was announced this week by the studio that filming has now begun on the new vacation. And it's Ed Helms as their grown son, Rusty. Didn't he he fall out of that project at once and then come back to it or something? uh, No, it was somebody else who... Well, no, the, the thing got put on hold for script reasons and director reasons, uh-huh. I think. Um, but but it was uh, um, Leslie Mann was announced as playing Audrey Griswold. Hmm. So that that's their two grown kids now, both you know, in their forties, taking their kids on a vacation. I can see. I like her. I like Ed Helms. You know, I think he could do a good job. Yeah. In that movie, uh, I think it's a good idea. I don't. We'll see. We'll see about that movie, though. Like, it's been so long. It's all these movies that are kind of coming back, playing on nostalgia factor. It's been so long that it's like a yeah. big question mark when, when you bring them back. Well, I mean, I, I, I think what they're going to do is they're going to trade not only on nostalgia, but also on the um, on the sort of the the power from the guys who brought you horrible bosses and, yeah. you know, whatever other movie, you know. That's the whole tagline. That other frigging And those like. other movies that you laughed at, maybe. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, Zachary Quintus says Star Trek Three is expected to start filming within the next six months. Um, and then here <laughs> That's was... a safe bet. Yeah. And then here was uh, uh, probably the final item we'll, we'll talk about in terms of of news, but it was more of a, an observation offered by Don Hahn, uh, this veteran Disney producer. He produced Lion King and, and Beauty and the Beast. And he was doing an interview with, I want to say it was Glamour Magazine. Yeah, and, uh, it was, in fact. It was for, like, Maleficent, because he was an executive producer on that. And somehow they got on the, the topic of, why are there so few mothers in Disney animated movies? And he offered up a pretty... Uh, amazing theory in that he said, you know, when Walt Disney started hitting it big after his first few movies, he bought a house for his parents and he moved them out, you know, and, and, uh, out here and, and, and put them up in the house. But he had some of the crew like install a furnace or something. And somehow basically, uh, it poisoned his parents like they, and his mother died. And that's kind of why. And that was his enduring tragedy for yeah, his life, really. And that it really scarred him, and he felt tremendous guilt over it. And that that's one reason why you didn't see Disney movies really use a lot of mothers uh, in there. And that they, you know, they're, and also, I mean, they rely on that sort of um, almost like the hero's journey kind of trope of uh, 
you know, the it makes a child vulnerable if they lose their parent. Yeah, know? he said, you know, he said that he, you know, he he, he cited the the script reason that you would do that is that it makes a kid grow up really fast. You know, you don't you don't have that sort of lengthy time with the parent to sort of learn all this stuff. It's like you're thrown into a world, you have to learn it yourself. But he said the underlying thing was probably the Walt Disney tragedy. Um, and, you know, we've heard a lot of different things about Walt Disney over the years about how he sort of, there's almost a mandate in his movies to have a traumatic event that kids would remember yeah. and would teach a lesson. You know, there's that really, when you're a kid, especially that horrifying sequence in Pinocchio with the kids turning into donkeys. And yeah. that's really troubling. And the, the Bambi, you know, um, I'm Yeah, don't be a deer in the, wo- in the woods is the lesson <laughs> of that. Uh, don't be a jackass is the other <laughs> lesson I think in Pinocchio. Don't be a deer in the woods. Yes. <laughs> um, let's see. There is. By the way, that is the only time we're going to report on a story that comes from Glamour magazine. <laughs> hey, who knows? They could be the new deadline for all I know. <laughs> they are. They're. They're. Friggin' Playboy magazine is now getting on on superhero movie news. Uh, one of their writers Everybody follows me on Twitter, so I followed him back, and he and he has all these. News uh, stories. I mean, uh, well, you I, truly did follow him back for the articles. <laughs> I really did, actually. <laughs> I sure as hell don't want to see him naked. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, snaps! <laughs> um, opening up this weekend. <laughs> Great segue when talking oh, about Playboy. Oh, <laughs> come on! <laughs> come on! Hey, come on! Let's break it up, people. Break it up. Uh, uh, the Maze Runners this weekend's big release. Uh, it's on thirty-five hundred screens. Weird uh, time for that movie, right? Yeah, yeah, but who knows? It might be the perfect time. It might be when that movie can really succeed. Actually, yeah. We'll I mean, I'm that. not. I'm not really stoked for that movie. I haven't seen much from it that I really liked. And I've been reading good reviews. I, yeah, I mean, look, I thought the premise. I, I liked the trailer, but like the more I've seen from the film, the kind of the less I'm engaged by. It. But who knows? I'll probably check it out at some point. Walk Them on the Tombstones, the Liam Neeson movie. Uh, it's less taken and more of a gumshoe detective kind of film. Right. Uh, and then This Is Where I Leave You, which is an ensemble comedy with like Tina Fey, Jason Bateman, Jane Fonda, Adam Driver. Yep. From Star Wars. And, Darth uh, Noggins. <laughs> that's right. Rose Byrne. You heard it here first. And then in limited release, Tusk, Kevin Smith's new horror film, which I saw the other night. I got to say, I, I quite liked it. Did you see Red State? No. So Red State was an interesting, slightly enjoyable movie, but not it wasn't like it wasn't like my favorite thing ever, but like it certainly was different for him, you know. Yeah. Um so I can what did you like about Tusk? You know what it, it it's it's a movie that it's funny, but in some ways it didn't really have to go for as much humor. There's one um Unless you've been following the the blogs and everything, there's one surprise guest star in the movie, mm. and um, their character is is very funny. It's very entertaining. But the point when they come into the movie it pulls you out of the movie a little bit mm. because you've been very much down the the horror path at that point. Right. So for it to suddenly go into wacky town seemed like uh, 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 just, you know, it's entertaining, but it, it did kind of make the movie feel uneven all of a sudden. But that's Kevin Smith. I feel like he can't, I, I feel like he struggles to lock a tone in. Yeah. Like, because Self-control. there's this other part of him that's like, but I really want to do this thing. You yeah. Know? Well, there's there's also, I mean, but overall when it works in the horror, and it's a completely ridiculous premise, 
but it works like it, and it's some truly horrifying imagery like i like the movie uh did i love the movie no but i really liked it and i would recommend it to people um it's certainly not for everyone but i would definitely recommend it to people uh i'll certainly remember the movie there's some imagery in there that i'm not going to forget if you're a and horror michael fan, parks is, is yeah. great in it and justin long is really great michael parks was really good in red state which is the reason to watch red state actually um you know he's this like sort of fire and brimstone preacher in that movie and you know he kills it he was so good in kill bill too both parts yeah and he was uh wasn't he uh in from dust till dawn or yeah, if you guys don't know who Michael Parks is, he's the cop at the beginning of Kill Bill 1, and he's the sort of old pimp at the end of Kill Bill 2. Uh. Um, he plays both parts. So if you're trying to place him, that's those are two of his roles. Um, and then let's see what else is... How in, is Hilly in... Joel Osment in that? Because he's, he's oh, signed he's up fine. to do the next one. He's he's funny. He's fine. He's a, it's a supporting character, though. Genesis Rodriguez is in there as Justin Long's girlfriend, and she's she's quite good. Um, and then there, you know, it's, it's a good movie. I liked it. It's, it's certainly not for everyone though. I think some people will be annoyed by sort of the veering between horror and comedy. And unless you just sort of, unless the movie doesn't grab you with the, the ridiculousness of its premise, if you're not yeah. on board, then you, you just, you're not gonna, the movie's not going to work for you. I feel like, um, you know, Kevin Smith went through the first part of his career. He had his like you know, Quakey Mart friends who mm -hmm. would appear through his movies. But then he really settled in with, like, Jason Mewes and, um, uh, you know, Ben Affleck was in a couple of his movies. Yeah. And then... Uh, he seems uh, he seems like he's doing a lot of stuff with Ralph Garman now. Yeah, now he's grabbing, like... Now he's he basically has this sort of troupe of actors that he worked with in the first part of his career that carried through to a certain point. And now I feel like... He's got Ralph Garman. Yeah, you don't see Jason Lee showing up. Yeah, right. He's got Michael Parks now. Um, you know, Haley Joel Osment and Genesis Rodriguez are both going to show up in the next movie. It's basically he took his, ca his cast from Tusk and moved him to his next movie, which is something like... I can't remember, something, oh, is it the yoga... Yoga, uh, yoga hosers or hosers, something? Yeah, the, his, his daughter and Johnny Depp's daughter... Are in there. And Johnny Depp is and in And Johnny it. Depp pops then, up in there, too. And all these people from Tusk as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, also opening up this weekend, and it's getting very good reviews, The Guest, which is from the, the guys who brought you your next. And um, oh, what was their other film? No, oh, the only one I knew was your next. Oh, oh uh, no, they're doing a remake now of I Saw the Devil. All right. So, yeah, that's why they popped them on. Um, so, the way you pronounce that is, I saw the devil. The devil. And then the Zero Theorem, which is Terry Gilliam's new one. That's available is, right now on DirecTV as well. Yeah, and it's a, a limited a theatrical release. And then Hector and the Search for Happiness, which is Simon Pegg, also in limited release. So, a lot of I think Maze Runner will be number one, I'm going to say, about $35 million. Ooh, I'm going to go a little lower than you there. I think it's going to do okay. 30, 31. 31, okay. Um, and then I think uh, I think that um, Walk on the Tombstones will be, I'm going to say second place. I'm going to say about 16. Yeah, I was going to say 17 for that one. Wow. And then I, I don't... I'm I'm really torn because I don't know what the buzz is on that. This is where I leave you movie. Because yeah, it's very it's very, there hasn't been a movie like that for a while. Yeah, and but it, it seems like there's always movies like that that come out like VOD. 
Right. You know, it's like, how did this one suddenly come out on like 2,000 screens or something? Yeah, I, it's 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 a strange one. So it's like, if there's an appetite for those kind of movies, I could see that movie making like 10 million and coming in yeah. third, and then Guardians being fourth. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I and Tusk, I should point out, is only on 500 screens. So, I, if anything, it'll probably maybe hit sixth place or something like the way the drop did the week before. It's gonna know? have to really perform though for it to do that. And I, I mean, Kevin Smith definitely draws a crowd, but and there seems to be like there's a curiosity factor and a buzz on this. But yeah, I think it it's. Uh, I mean, it's a cult movie, and it'll always be a cult movie. Yeah, you know anything that has to do with a walrus? I don't know if America's ready for it, <laughs> but yeah. Uh, all right, so you My think this is, is where I leave you? Third place with ten. Yeah, and then I think Guardians is going to get about seven. Okay. And I think I think it's going to hang in. I I think it's going to continue to hang in until they take more screens away. I'm going to say this is where I <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to say this is where I leave you. Third place with nine million. Uh, it's tracking I think a little higher, but I don't know. And then I think. Um, I think actually, no good deed will be um, oh, fourth. Yeah. But I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say nine million for that. That's a smart call, my friend. In fact, I mean, no good deed could actually probably. Oh, uh, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna swap it. I'm gonna say no good deed third, with thirteen million, and then uh, this is where I leave you, fourth with nine million. Yeah, I think no good deed might actually hang in there because it's a bit more of a date movie, you yeah. know. Um, the other ones are kind of uh, geared towards younger folks and probably dudes and older. If you take if viewers. you take your date to Tusk and they like it, you know you got a keeper. That's right. That's right. Um, yeah, but do you, I don't know if you actually. Like I don't know. Actually, maybe, maybe <laughs> you, not. You might not like that. Um, Where do you have piercings? <laughs> All right, guys. Well, give us. Uh, that's going to wrap up this week's podcast. Give us a shout out over on iTunes. Uh, send us your reader email at keeping it real at ign.com. Damn it, I actually did have reader email for this week. Do it. Oh, all right, let's let's do, let's do one. Um, this one's you see how we did an end around there. Yeah, faked you out. Subverted uh, the norm. Jonathan Bell writes in, as the Amazing Spider-Man 2's profit wasn't great. Do you think Sony will decrease the production and marketing budgets for future installments? I don't think they would decrease marketing budgets, but I think they would could decrease the production budget perhaps but i also don't really think that Thanks, it was that bad off you know it made i mean it made 700 million 700 million uh globally but i think they i think they're pumping the brakes a little bit on just the the next one because you know i don't know maybe they won't bring back mark Webb. i'm just speculating it's not like there's any news about that but um well and it's interesting because we're gonna have sinister six that's the next thing. Mm -hmm. and then, then Venom. And then Venom. Venom Carnage, I'm sorry. Venom Carnage. And then that's when we get back to Spider-Man. And who knows yeah. at that point if Andrew Garfield's even going to be around for it. That's, yeah. my, that's my wonder because he's, what, close to 30 now? Yeah. And oh, we're talking another five years. Yeah, he's going to be 35, you know? Yeah. I mean, right he's a young looking 35, but yeah. Well, we don't know. Um, James Brown <laughs> writes in. <laughs> Just to tell us, you know, he loved uh, the September 12th episode, but he wanted to point out um, uh, uh, a misstatement, I believe, I made. Oh, uh, the one where you said that yeah, robots Koba. have junk? No, no, where I said that Koba killed his own kid. Uh, no, apparently it was uh, Ash was Rocket's kid. Oh, uh, that's true. That's right. So, 
So I stand corrected. Thank you, folks, for that. For, that makes uh, that makes Koba a little less evil, but still evil. Not if you're not if you're rocket. Not if you're rocket, <laughs> but like I'm just saying, like in the scheme of things, killing your own kid is pretty hard. Cookie rocket. So to make you feel better after your kid gets thrown over the balcony, <laughs> apparently. Um, let's see. Okay, one last uh, reader email. Dear, keeping it real. I love you. Please bear my children. Uh, he's okay. Jeshua writes in about a serious Ghostbusters cast. Um, uh, some uh, him and some some friends, or I actually. Uh, Joshua, are you a girl? I don't know. Um, some some of their friends they uh, they give real thought and they think Jason Siegel is the brainy new Egon type, uh, but Dana's son and Peter's stepson. Ray inspired team member is Seth Rogen. Melissa McCarthy is Peter and Dana's daughter, and Channing Tatum plays the regular dude who joined because it pays. What are your thoughts on that kind of? I mean, that's kind of cool, but like. I- they are already going in the direction of doing all women, right? Like, yeah. So resubmit your casting knowing that it's going to be all women, all female cast. Somebody earlier had said Kristen Wiig. I think that's interesting. Yeah. But I think they might want to go with, um, you know, sort of like actresses in their 20s for it. Um, I don't know, actually. That might be – that might that might not work at all. I mean, you get Emma Stone and uh, – Who's the oh god her name went right Brie out Brie Larson like, maybe or well, who's that the her one who's in Twenty Two Jump Street plays Brie Larson right is that her I thought is it Brie Larson Brie Olson Brie Ma- maybe it is yeah her her name something sound- yeah but she uh, yeah she's in um she's in in uh friggin Twenty Two Jump Street so yeah uh, and then last uh, podcast question is um survey says oh. Uh, it comes from Matt S., who says, Do you think that when Mark Webb finally directs the two films he owes Fox, remember he took a, yeah. he took a break from that deal, uh, could it be an X-Men spinoff film, no. which could then lead him persuading Fox and Sony to let him direct a Spider-Man X-Men crossover film? <laughs> um, well, I don't think Mark Webb has the power to do that. Um, I, I, I think they, the, you know, there would need to be a mighty, mighty team of lawyers involved with that. I just don't think anybody is willing to do that right now, and I think everybody's going on their own separate paths so much. I think what they're going to get out of him is smaller projects, actually. Yeah. I don't think he's going to do big stuff, but I don't know, maybe because they know he's a they know he's a capable director who could take on a big project. I think. Um, sky's the limit i guess for him i guess so i mean uh here oh just one little bit of breaking news toby kebbell has booked yet another villain role uh he's played dr doom in the fantastic four remake he was koba and planet of the apes and now he's going to play the villainous masala in the ben-hur remake that jack houston is going to be in so Hmm. there there we have it i can't believe they're remaking ben-hur i don't well i mean ben-hur the one everyone knows was a remake yeah, it but was I mean, it's a 1920s movie, and it's based on a, a novel written by the former governor of New Mexico, who was the governor of New Mexico, Lou Wallace, when Billy the Kid was an outlaw, and he's portrayed in different Billy the Kid movies, including Peck and Paws, uh, as like the governor who basically put a price on Billy the Kid's head. Hmm. So the author of Ben Hur is the same guy who was like. Take down Billy the Kid. That's a serious trivia nugget. Now from you Jim. send Ben Hur after Billy the Kid, and then I'll go see that goddamn movie. Whoa! Yeah. Oh, and just to clear something up, because I saw this on Twitter. Um, 
His name is not Jim Vavita Stacks with a hyphen. His name is Jim Vavita. <laughs> I didn't marry myself. And his nickname is Stacks. Just and in case you were ever wondering. Way that. back to the olden days when every ass clown online had uh, a nickname because it was the Wild West. Before then. Stacks was a snack food. That's right. It does. And that's how you spell it too S T A X. So, um, all right, guys. Well, again, that'll do it for this week. Uh, read your email at keepingitrealatign.com. Follow uh, Chris Carl on Twitter at, at Chris Carl with an E at the end of Carl. E. And at Stacks, S-T-A-X-I-G-N. And uh, as always, folks, thank you for listening, and we will catch you next time.